Good morning. Thank you, musicians. I love that song. Let me do a little bit of, class, uh, uh, of house cleaning before we get started. I just have a couple of announcements tonight. We have a prayer night. Tonight we have a prayer night. And all God's children said, I won't be there. Um, at least God's children in this congregation. Please come out and receive the blessing of praying with your brothers and sisters. Please come out. I have written in my notes here, don't guilt them. Right here in parentheses, do not guilt them. I want mature believers to understand why praying with one another is God's will and why it's important. Second, we need nursery workers. We need nursery workers. You don't have to have a child in the nursery uh, to, to work there. We're going through a, a set of, um, we're going to have CPR certification. We're going to have um, background checks, of course, as we already have. Um, but we want you to sign up. We need you, if you're not serving in, in any of our ministries during the, the Sunday church, we need you to uh, uh, sign up. And the more people that sign up, the less you'll have to be in there. All right, it's a supply and demand principle. The more supply we have, the less demand there is for you to be there every Sunday. So we want our people who are over there in the nursery to be able to come over here and worship with us, okay? So please, I want you to really pray about it. I want you to think about being in our ministry. And then lastly, I want to just mention one new ministry that we're going to have. It's our deacons family ministry. This is going to be a wonderful ministry. Um, we have wonderful deacons here. Wonderful men who I love very much. They're wonderful servants, um, and they've been serving this church. You just you won't know all the things that they do. You'll never know, and they like it that way. But when you're in need, these guys are like service ninjas. They just drop out of the ceiling, and they're there to judo chop you for the glory of God. They're great guys. And so here's what the Deacon's Family Ministry is going to be. Uh, they're going to act as my arm. Uh, the, the institution or the office of deacon uh, goes back to Acts chapter 6 and the apostles, there was an issue that sprung up in the congregation and the apostles said simply this, it would not be right that the pastors or the leaders neglect the preaching of the word to wait tables. That's what they say in the Greek, to wait tables. And essentially it just means to care for the people. And the deacon, the office of deacon was instituted at that point so that the deacons could help bear the many burdens that the flock has. And we understand real life happens throughout the week. We understand that sickness comes and there are material needs. There are just praises and prayers and maybe you need to talk with someone. Every person in the church who is part of our Shelby Next system will be assigned a deacon and those deacons will be my arm. and They'll be praying with you if you have any needs. If you need to speak directly with me, they'll relay um, to me if we can set something up, but they are really, really awesome men, and you, you're going to be blessed by, by having these men as a part of your life. Uh, they're here to serve, okay? Uh, that's their role. Let's, let's let them serve. Now, let's get started with our sermon today. Let's pray. Father, we love to behold your glory. We love to go around the world and to stop and look at amazing things, Lord. It is the majesty of standing at the base of a mountain, the augustness of a volcano, the breadth of the ocean, 
the depth of the ocean, the creatures that you've made. And all of those are so beautiful, Lord, but they point beyond the created thing to a creator. And so, Lord, we just want to come today and behold you, the creator. And Lord, as we look at all of the things that you have made, the heavens that declare your glory, the stars and the galaxies and the vastness of this universe, we understand that you are infinitely greater. And so we just praise you, God. Lord, it is my prayer that this sermon will be communicated. Whatever there may be as a hindrance this morning, that you will break down those barriers. And I pray, Lord God, that we will glory in you, in you alone. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, let me get this on. Are we on? There we go. The question we want to answer this morning is, where did everything come from? There are two answers to this question. And the first answer is, it came from nothing. Everything we know exists because we can experience it. We know that minds exist because we think, therefore we are. I think, therefore I am. We experience the outside or the external world by the use of our five senses. We reason and explain how that outside world is supposed to operate. So we know that things exist. But the question that every worldview has to answer is where did everything come from? There was a time when the universe did not exist. This is a fact. It is a biblical fact. It is a logical fact. And it is a scientific fact. There was a time when the universe did not exist. The universe is everything that is made up of matter that exists within space and time. Everything that exists. We know that the universe began to exist. If there was ever a time where there was nothing, which by definition, nothing is the absence of anything... If there was ever a time when there was nothing, there would still be nothing today because nothing is by definition the absence of anything. And nothing does not make anything because it's nothing. It is virtually nonsensical, therefore, for things that exist to come from nothing. So we know that the answer to our first question our main question today, where did everything come from, is at least we can say for sure it's not nothing. Everything had to come from something. So this morning, I want to answer this question, where did everything come from, by beginning to answer the question of creation from the Bible. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four evidences for creation. And this week, we're going to look at origins. Origins. What do we mean by origins? When we're talking about origins, we're asking the question, where did everything come from? When we say everything, we mean everything that is part of our universe. Matter. Space. Time. Physical laws, morality, love, squirrels, I'm a little behind here, squirrels, mountains, birds, 
stars, planets, algebra, people, oceans, bugs, land, coffee beans, everything. Today we are talking about where did everything come from. So not just life, everything. All life in our universe, at least especially on this world, is carbon-based. Well, where did the carbon come from? And this morning, we want to answer the question, where did everything come from? Now, of course, because we're a Bible-believing church, we are going to begin to find or to answer this question with the Bible. The Bible is the final rule in all matters of faith and practice. And when we begin to talk about where everything came from, we're talking about the ancient past. The ancient, ancient past. And in order to know what happened in the past, we need a source. And we need a source that's trustworthy. And the Bible is going to be that source. Everything that scripture teaches is inspired by God. It is infallible. That means it cannot err. And it is inerrant. That means it does not err. And what we want to do is we want to put that to the test. But when we read scripture, because scripture portends to tell truth, absolute unadulterated truth, we should expect to find that truth supported in the universe. And so, when we look at the Word of God and we answer, we see what God's Word teaches, and we answer that outside in the universe, we should expect it to be confirmed by reason and by experience. So I want to look this morning as we begin at exactly what God's Word says about the answer to the question, where did everything come from? So let's begin with the Word of God. How does the Bible answer this question? The first verse I want to look at is Proverbs, or excuse me, Genesis 1.1. And you know this verse very well. Genesis 1.1 tells us, excuse me, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The first verse of the Bible establishes this crucial principle of all Christian faith, namely... That God is the first cause of all things. In the beginning, whenever the beginning was, it was God, not nothing. In fact, you might even say, in the beginning, it's not a what, it is a who. It is a person who made everything. And if the person made everything, there's a purpose for this thing. My daughter, she's a wonderful artist. She's very cute with her drawings. And she draws pictures all the time. And the one thing I ask her always is, why did you draw it that way? What is your reason for making or for creating this picture? We want to know why people do things. Because persons do things for a reason. And if there is a who at the beginning of the universe... At the beginning of creation, we want to know why God did that. And the Bible says, in the beginning, it was God who created the heavens and the earth. That is, that God is the first cause of everything. 
And the Bible tells us that the first cause of everything is God. When we say first cause, we're talking about the first necessary cause. And that everything that happens after that cause is contingent. That is to say that everything that happens after God makes the universe happens based upon his decision. Everything in this universe could, it could not exist. There was a time, I know this is hard to believe, but there was a time where the world went on before you ever existed. Nothing changed dramatically when you came into the world except for the fact that there was one more dirty diaper to clean. The world existed before you came into this world. And guess what? It's going to exist when you leave it. Because you're not essential to the universe. It is true that you're here. But it's not necessarily true. It's contingently true. That is, it is a truth that does not have to be true. But is true. But God, because all of us are here. It requires there to be a first cause. In other words, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. In other words, if anything exists at all, it requires that there be a first existing cause that makes everything else. The Bible tells us that that's God. But not only that, Scripture says, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations, and by understanding He set the heavens in place. God did not exist with material. It wasn't God and material as co-eternal things. It was God and by wisdom and by his word that everything came into existence. So that the first cause of all things is not only God but it is God's mind. God is not material. He is not carbon-based. He does not have a body. He exists outside of time and space. He is eternal, without beginning, without end. As Scripture tells us, He is Alpha and Omega. And by His wisdom and by His word, everything that exists came to be. Scripture also says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth are all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in the storehouses. So that, yes, of course, the origins come from God, but not only does everything come from God, God orders everything. Why do the seas act the way they do? Why do they butt up against the shore without ever overtaking the shore? Because God made it that way. He separated the expanse in the sky from the expanse of the waters below. And he decided that on day five, that expanse in the sky would teem with animals. And that that expanse below, that water below, would teem with fish. Because God designed it that way. Because by his wisdom and by his word, that's how he made the universe. 
The Bible also tells us that by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Think about that. Today we hear that everything came by some natural processes. Natural meaning it must be physical. That means I can touch it. I can taste it. I'm not going to taste it. That's gross. I can hear it. I can see it. I can smell it. And by the way, we need to clean this because it's a little stinky up here. I can experience it. It's physical. But the Bible tells us that there was a time where there was nothing that was physical. And God, by his word, made everything that was physical. I want you to understand what the Bible's picture of our universe really is. Everything that we experience in this world, love, squirrels, all of the things that we experience are there simply because God determined them to be there. The Bible wants us to be okay with that. The Bible says it is true and you can take it or leave it. But Scripture's answer to the truth of where everything came from is God. Scripture also tells us then that before there was anything that was material, there had to first be a mind. A mind before it. And so this is the witness of Scripture. Finally, Revelation 4.11 tells us why God did all this. Some people ask the question, why is there anything rather than nothing? Why did God even decide to create the universe? Well, the same reason you paint pictures, except his is infinitely greater. You paint pictures and you do great things and play basketball beautifully. And maybe you write songs or write poetry. Maybe you run really fast. I mean, if there's ever been anything that's pointless in all sports, it's running. I hate running. No one likes running. Running around a track, who cares? Why do you do that? You do it to be faster. You do it to hold a trophy. You do it to glorify yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you are fastest, you should run. Then you should go to the Olympics, get paid a lot, and give it back to your local church. That's why we do things. God created the heavens and the earth for his glory. And just imagine... The most beautiful thing that you could make pales in comparison to the heavens and the earth. Worthy are you, O Lord. We were singing this morning, behold our God. Nothing can compare. Revelation says, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory. I listen to people say from time to time, I just heard Stephen Fry, the English actor, say, if I got to heaven, the first thing I'd say to God is, really? Bone cancer and children? It's pretty good. That's not bad. I thought to myself, Stephen, you're not going to say that to God. He'll make sure you don't. Because when you stand in the presence of the glory of God, 
the very glory that you try to suppress by your wickedness, the only thing you can say is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I heard someone say this past week, God has just wasted the universe. Why make such a vast universe? Just for a second, consider the size of our galaxy. Our galaxy has something like between 200 to 400 billion stars. But that one galaxy in our entire universe is made up of trillions of galaxies that have billions of stars in them. And he said, it's just a waste. God says, no, they're not. Every time you look in that telescope and you see the vastness of this universe, understand that they declare my glory. What you see with your eyes about this physical universe, I am far greater. I spoke it. And the vastness of the universe existed. Let there be light. And there was light from nothing but his word and his wisdom. That's how great God is. And this is the revelation of scripture. It's what tells us the answer to the question. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is this confirmed in nature? There are three things that the Bible teaches us that we want to see is it confirmed in our reason and our experience. Number one, the Bible tells us that God created everything. So the answer to the first question for a believer, where did everything come from, is God. Number two, the second thing that we have to answer is that the Bible, or at least the second premise of the Bible is this. God created everything from nothing but his wisdom and his word alone. That everything, the, the most insignificant atom in the farthest reaches of outer space was created by God's word alone and is in his and under his control. Finally, number three, we have to maintain what the Bible teaches. The reason why things exist is for God's glory alone. So for us to sit here and question why God makes things, we are standing in the wrong because God makes it to be glorified. When's the last time you just went outside and shut every light off in your backyard, looked up at the sky, and glorified God? See, the nature of all things should, because it expresses God, should lead to worship. Think about these things. Well, how do reason and experience now answer the question, where did everything come from? So the Bible tells us that everything came from God, right? It tells us that everything came from God. It came from God for a purpose. It came from God. And it not only did it come from God, but it came from nothing but his word. And it came for his glory. Well, what do reason, what we can fathom by our minds, and what does science or experience teach us about God? I want to look first at what reason teaches us. I want to look at a simple syllogism of logic, and a syllogism is an argument. What is an argument? 
an argument is not that thing you had with your daughter this morning about wearing the dress to church. That's not the way I'm using an argument. An argument is a set of statements that affirm or a set of statements that logically lead to a conclusion. We're going to look at an argument and we're going to look and see if these statements that are made are true. Let me give you a better definition of an argument. An argument is a set of statements, one of which, called the conclusion, is affirmed on the basis of the others called the premises. And the goal of an argument in reason and in logic is to uncover truth. So we want to, do, we want to look at this syllogism and we want to see if this leads us to truth. So here are the premises. Premise number one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe is a thing that begins to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. I want to show you something. You don't need a Bible to know this much. So when you have a conversation with someone who says, Oh, you say God exists. I don't even believe your Bible. Okay, put the Bible over there and show them why by reason they are unreasonable to deny God. Scripture does so. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Paul says that they know God exists by what has been made. So we'll leave the Bible there for a second, and we're going to answer the question, is the belief in God reasonable? So let's look at this first premise. Number one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Well, let's see why this is true. Number one, this seems self-obvious, but I'll try and prove it to you anyway, if you need convincing. This is based upon the law of cause and effect. In the middle of the night, if I hear the toilet flush, I know Kellen is up flushing Spider-Man down the toilet. I know that. I heard the flush. Flush. And there's Spider-Man's legs. Down to, if I'm lucky, I can see Spider-Man's legs so that I don't have to call the plumber for $300 to come out and get it out. I don't think flushes happen spontaneously. They happen because someone caused it. If you hear a bang or a rustling in the middle of the night, you know that something caused it. I've never thought about a person coming into being from nothing. Every one of you have a parent. Every one of you have two parents. I know that for a fact. I don't even have to know you or your parents to know that you came from parents. Because you are the effect, you are what exists, and you must have come from something or two parents before you. I also know this. They had to be a man and a woman. Okay, let's leave it there. But I know that. It's called the law of cause and effect. Something cannot come from nothing. You see this beautiful building here? Someone built it. Someone built it. Someone paid for it. And someone built it. 
You notice that the floors are not dusty. Someone vacuumed it. Cause and effect. Every effect has to have a cause. There is nothing so preposterous as a thing that becomes to exist or a thing that was not and now is that that happened without a cause. Now, your kids will try and prove to you. I don't know how this... My kids believe... This is how illogical children can be. I'll walk into a room. There'll be chocolate smeared on the TV. And I'll say, which one of you did it? And neither of them did it. I know that one of them did it because... And you know the same. The law of cause and effect tells us it did. And I don't need to read the Bible to know that. But not only that, I know that if there was ever nothing, there would still be nothing. Because nothing by definition is the absence of anything. And since all effects have to have a cause, then it follows that if the cause is nothing, that is the absence of anything, there would still be nothing. Try for a second and imagine nothing. You can't do it. Many of you, when you try to imagine nothing, you think of darkness. But guess what? Darkness is something. And nothing is the absence of anything. So there has to be an initial causer. So the first premise of our argument has to be true. Everything, and notice that this is underlined, that begins to exist has a cause. Because we are only talking about things that have a beginning. It's cute, a little cute play by atheists to say, well, who made God? Well, we're not talking about someone who doesn't have a beginning. We're talking about something that has a beginning. And the universe has a beginning. Now we have to answer, and I don't have to be able to explain the cause. I simply have to know that there has to be one. And I know that there has to be one. Well, let's look at the second premise. The universe began to exist. We know this by a couple simple rules. And I'm not even getting into the science yet. I'm simply using reason. We know that the universe had to exist. Take our moment in time right now. The moment in time is 11.32. Oh, I got plenty of time. It's 11.32. 11.32, March 3rd. Is it 3rd? March 4th, thank you. March 4th, 2018. We'll call that moment one, M1. This moment that we're experiencing right now. We're going to use these dominoes here to represent moments in time. And if, if this moment is ever going to happen, there has to be a finite. That means limited. That means an exact amount of dominoes that would have to fall before this domino falls. So our domino is going to represent this moment that we're experiencing in time right now. Here's the domino. In order for this moment to come, there has to be a finite amount of moments that lead up to it. It cannot be infinite. If it is infinite, this moment will never come. If I say that an infinite amount of dominoes has to fall before this domino falls, this domino never falls. That's just logical. There is no such thing as an actual infinite. It's impossible. There are only potential infinites. Someone will say, numbers are infinite. No, numbers are potentially infinite. Because guess what infinity is? Infinity means without 
end without limits. You cannot have an infinite amount of anything. You cannot have an absolute, real, physical infinite. And you especially can't have an infinite past. Here's how I'll prove this. Actual infinity makes no sense. And I'm, I'm indebted to William Lane Craig, by the by, who's a Christian philosopher. But let me just prove this. Actual infinites don't make sense. If I have an infinite amount of marbles, and you ask me to give you all my marbles, and I give them to you, infinity minus infinity equals zero. Now let's say this. Let's say I have an infinite amount of marbles, and you ask me again, give me all your odd number marbles. Give me your one, three, five, seven. Then, in this case, infinity minus infinity equals infinity. Now, in the first case, infinity minus infinity equals zero. And in the next one, infinity minus infinity equals infinity. And in the third example, let's say you walk up to me and you say, give me every marble after the number four. Then, in that case, infinity minus infinity equals three. Here's the point. An actual infinite is illogical and impossible mathematically. So this moment that you're experiencing right now demands a finite past. So when you read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, you know it has to be that way. It is impossible any other way. And I haven't opened a single page of the Bible to prove this to you. Therefore, we have reason, just simple reason to believe that everything that begins to exist has a cause. And since the universe has to be one of those things, we know that the universe has to be cause. And of course, we'll talk in a moment about what that cause would have to be. But let me answer one other question. So I just used reason. Well, what does experience and science tell us about creation? Uh, we have a little video to play for you. If you would just click on the link. Chooks, were you able to get it? There we go. Chooks can do all things through Christ. You just expand it. Does God exist? Or is the material universe all that is, or ever was, or ever will be? One approach to answering this question is the cosmological argument. It goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Is the first premise true? Let's consider. Believing that something can pop into existence without a cause is more of a stretch than believing in magic. At least with magic you've got a hat and a magician. And if something can come into being from nothing, then why don't we see this happening all the time? No, everyday experience and scientific evidence confirm our first premise. If something begins to exist, it must have a cause. But what about our second premise? Did the universe begin 
or has it always existed? Atheists have typically said that the universe has been here forever. The universe is just there, and that's all. First, let's consider the second law of thermodynamics. It tells us the universe is slowly running out of usable energy. And that's the point. If the universe had been here forever, it would have run out of usable energy by now. The second law points us to a universe that has a definite beginning. This is further confirmed by a series of remarkable scientific discoveries. In 1915, Albert Einstein presented his general theory of relativity. This allowed us, for the first time, to talk meaningfully about the past history of the universe. Next, Alexander Friedman and George Lemaitre, each working with Einstein's equations, predicted that the universe is expanding. Then in 1929, Edwin Hubble measured the red shift in light from distant galaxies. This empirical evidence confirmed not only that the universe is expanding, but that it sprang into being from a single point in the finite past. It was a monumental discovery, almost beyond comprehension. However, not everyone is fond of a finite universe, so it wasn't long before alternative models popped into existence. But one by one, these models failed to stand the test of time. More recently, three leading cosmologists, Arvind Bord, Alan Guth and Alexander Vilenkin, prove that any universe which has on average been expanding throughout its history cannot be eternal in the past, but must have an absolute beginning. This even applies to the multiverse, if there is such a thing. This means that scientists can no longer hide behind a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Any adequate model must have a beginning, just like the standard model. It's quite plausible then that both premises of the argument are true. This means that the conclusion is also true. The universe has a cause. And since the universe can't cause itself, its cause must be beyond the space-time universe. It must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, uncaused and unimaginably powerful. Much like God. The cosmological argument shows that, in fact, it is quite reasonable to believe that God does exist. The video explains to us, without using scripture, that belief in God is the only, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interpret ex just a little bit more, is the only reasonable explanation for why everything or from where everything comes from. No Bible page was flipped. Now, you're going to be told in this world today that you're a fool for still believing in the fairy tales of the Bible. And what I'm telling you is Moses knew more about the cosmic beginnings than any of your astrophysics teachers ever did. He understood logically, biblically, logically, and scientifically that God must exist. What we're in coming into contact today with, though, is the issue of science in quotes. People are going to tell you that science and faith 
You have to leave them, you have to leave them in their respected places. Faith, that's what we do on Sunday, but Monday through Friday, when you're in school or when you're supposed to be uh, legislating new laws, when you're supposed to be voting, you got to bring the science textbook into the booth, leave the Bible and religion out of it. That's what our world tells us today. As one person said, a Chinese paleontologist, he said, in China, he said, in America... You can deny or you can talk bad about the government, but you can't talk bad about Darwin. But in China, you can talk bad about Darwin, but you can't talk bad about the government. In America, it has become the status quo to assume that science itself answers all our questions. But when we take the word science, we have to understand what exactly that word means. Science is not the data most of the time. When you're, t when you're in, uh, encountering someone saying that science proves X or science proves Y, most of the time you're encountering the dogma, namely the interpretation of the data. We learned a little bit about that last week with methodological naturalism. But science, the data alone has proven that there must be a beginning to our universe. I'll just go on really quickly to one slide, and we won't talk much about this. But I want to look at this conclusion that one atheist philosopher came to. His name is Anthony Flew. He actually passed away just recently. And Anthony Flew didn't become a Christian before he died, but he did become a theist. That is, someone who believes in God. And he came to that conclusion based upon reason and science. I want to read to you what he says about the beginning of our universe. He says, Atheists have to be embarrassed by the contemporary cosmological consensus, for it seemed that the cosmologists were providing a scientific proof of what St. Thomas Aquinas contended could be proved philosophically in uh, 700 years earlier, namely that the universe had a beginning. When I first met the Big Bang Theory as an atheist, says Flew, it seemed to me the theory made a big difference because it suggested that the universe had a beginning and that the first sentence in Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, was related to an event in the universe. As long as the universe could be comfortably thought to be not only without end, but also without beginning, it remained easy to see its existence and its more fundamental features at br as brute facts. In other words, facts that are true without any explanation. And if there had been no reason to think the universe had a beginning, there would be no need to postulate something else that produced the whole thing. But the Big Bang Theory changed all of that. If the universe had a beginning, it became entirely sensible, even inevit inevitable, to ask this question, what produced the bang? This radically altered the situation. At the same time, I predicted 
that atheists were bound to see the Big Bang cosmology as requiring a physical explanation, an explanation that admittedly may be forever inaccessible to human beings, but I admitted that believers could equally, reasonably welcome the Big Bang cosmology as tending to confirm their prior belief that in the beginning the universe was created by God. So not only does reason prove that there must be a beginning to our universe, science proves as much as well. The beginning to our universe is the beginning to everything. Christians have said that God is all-powerful. That there is not a limit to God's power. Then what is it for the God who is all-powerful to speak in our universe Come into being. Not only that, Christians have said God is omniscient, that God is all knowing, that God would know how to do such a thing. He not only knows how, but He has the power to do so. He knows how to balance this universe on a razor's edge. To take this planet that requires a moon of the size relative to this earth. To put it at 27 degrees tilt. That protects it enough with electromagnetism. Protecting it from the sun's rays. Putting it in an orbitable, habitable zone within 5% of the sun. 20% away from the sun. If he doesn't put it there, this earth doesn't exist. No gravity. Must be in a sun with equal size relative to this earth. That is comprised of the exact elements that it needs to have have those elements working equal to one another and relative to one another that you cannot go over one particular gas in one way or under another particular gas in another so that the earth that we are the earth that we inhabit goes around a sun that gives the exact energy to ripen your beautiful tomatoes and you tell me science has disproven god You would have to be a fool to leave here this morning to believe that there is no God. For the Bible tells us so. But why, ultimately, did God do this anyway? We know that earlier we said it's for His glory. But His glory becomes focus 2,000 years ago in a little place called Nazareth. Listen to what Scripture says. John picks up on the first verse in Genesis 1-1. And he begins his gospel in like manner. And he says this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So then I can take my finger, flip back to Genesis 1-1, point my finger down on that first verse and say, Jesus was there. He is God. He is with God. One in essence, three in person. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. 
And without him was not anything made that was made. And the word that was with God, that is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. But God has made him known. It's one thing to talk about where everything came from. It's one thing to say that we can know by reason. We can know by science. We can even know by scripture that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But to know him personally is what we really want. It's what we really need. And the Bible says, okay, you will know me through my son. You cannot know the creator God apart from knowing the son. If you do not know the Son this morning, you do not know God. I want to invite you this morning. If every one of you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask you this question. Since the evidence for God's existence, since the Bible is so overwhelmingly proven, will you receive God in the person of Jesus Christ? What Jesus reveals to us is that we cannot on our own obtain the salvation or the righteousness that God requires. If you've never received Jesus, I want to just give you a moment right now. You can pray this prayer out loud. You can pray it in the silence of the pew that you're sitting in. I want you to just repeat these words after me. God, I want to trust in your son, Jesus, as my only Savior. I know I'm a sinner. You've shown me you are real. You have shown me why you made this universe. And you have shown me what I need. And God, I know I need Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come into me. That you, Holy Spirit, would help me bear the fruit of the Spirit. And that Jesus, I would be your disciple for the rest of my days. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to share that with me after the service. We're going to have the Lord's Supper this morning. And I want to invite you, if you prayed that prayer, to receive the Lord's Supper today. To eat the bread and drink the cup and confess along with all of us who believe Jesus is Lord. Let's end with prayer. Father, you are holy. Your glory is from everlasting to everlasting. We praise you. There is nothing more exquisite in all the universe that you made 
than that you, God, would come to earth and die on my behalf. Thank you. Thank you for salvation in Jesus. Amen.